Let's take our Bibles this morning and open to 1 Kings chapter 18. We didn't uh, give the announcement for anybody up to first grade. If you'd like to go to Children's Church, uh, meet uh, in the back. Uh, I noticed some people were getting out there, but if uh, somebody missed that call, uh, you can go out there and an usher will take you down to be with the, the kids as they have their children's church. Some of you have noticed the Holloways are missing this morning. They're in Comstock, Michigan, and uh, ministering in, with music there. They'll be back, Lord willing, tonight. And so uh, that's why you've seen different faces here than usual. 1 Kings chapter 18, the title of the message this morning, we're looking at Elijah and Obadiah. And here we'll find contrasts in character and conviction. Contrasts in character and conviction. The chapter opens with new instructions and consequently new obedience in verses 1 and 2. Let's just read those. 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Again, we find Elijah the prophet listening to God, listening to what God is telling him to do, and being obedient to those instructions. Elijah has consistently listened and obeyed God for what he had to say before. We pointed that out in chapter 17, verse 3. God said to go hide by the brook Cherith, so we went and did according unto the word of the Lord. Verse 5. In 17.9, God said, go to Zarephath. 17.10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. Now in chapter 18, verse 1, God said, show yourself to Ahab. And in verse 2, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. He had established a pattern of unquestioning obedience, and so it was just normal to be obedient again. Athletes excel in certain skills because they've repeated those skills over and over and over again so many times that they develop what is called muscle memory. It isn't that the muscle memorizes it, but the brain tells the muscles what to do. And so they can accomplish something because it is instilled in their brains. They can do a task with little or no conscious effort. Say, well, that explains their interviews afterwards. There's hardly any intelligence there. No. It's amazing what they can do. You know, we need to develop muscle memory when it comes to our faith and our obedience to Christ. You're reading through your Bible and your daily devotions and you see something and God is telling you, you need to obey that. What's your normal response? It should be so ingrained in you that you say, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe I hadn't seen that before. Maybe I'm reminded of it. And now it, it, it hits home and I say, I'm going to do that. Develop that. Develop a habit of, of repetition so much that you just obey God immediately. As the instructions got harder, God gave Elijah increased strength. You've heard this before, but it's always good to remember that God will never ask you to do something that he will not, by his grace, empower you to do. He's not going to ask you something to do that you can't do. He'll give you the ability to do whatever he tells you to do. Which of the commands that Elijah has had so far do you think was easier to obey? Hide yourself at Cherith. Oh, that sounds nice. I'd like to get away for a while. Get away from people. What about go to the widow of Zarephath? A little humbling to ask for a meal, her last meal. But that was okay. But probably this one, go show yourself to Ahab, is a, is a little bit 
up in the step of the difficult things to obey. Ahab's not going to be too happy. There's been a famine, and as far as Ahab was concerned, Elijah was the one responsible for the drought. Isn't that the way wicked kings do? They blame someone else for something that they brought on themselves. We pointed out in our first study of, of Elijah in his life, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 17, where God warned Israel that if they follow false gods, he would shut up the heavens so it wouldn't rain on the earth. There would be no fruit. And Ahab was the one who led Baal worship. Israel was following Baal. But he says the drought's because of Elijah. In verse 10, Ahab had been looking for Elijah. He made uh, many nations promise to give him up if Elijah was hiding in their borders. In verse 12, uh, Obadiah is going to say, Ahab is going to kill me if I tell him that you were here and I let you slip through my fingers. If the governor or the caretaker, this Obadiah, the steward of Ahab's own house, is afraid for his life, he's certainly not going to be friendly toward Elijah. But in spite of the danger, in spite of the risk of meeting Ahab, Elijah is going to do exactly what God told him to do. And when you establish that pattern of obedience, it won't matter whether the commands are easy to obey or difficult. You have made up your mind to do whatever God has told you to do. That's what you're going to do. Notice Elijah hadn't heard any new instructions for a while. We have a general and a specific statement about the time frame in verse 1. After many days, that's general, and in the third year. Uh, that's specific. This drought had, had come, uh, it was after many days. There had been a famine. And Elijah had, had survived that. He had, by God's grace, he was getting through it. And, and so after many days is that general, the, the, the length of the famine. And then the specific, in the third year. It's an interesting study if you want to go into that. We don't have time to do it this morning. But it could be referring to either the third year of the drought You'll get into the early and the latter rains and when that, when that famine started. The Old Testament doesn't mention three and a half years. It's Jesus and James that write that in the New Testament. So the third year could be the year of the drought, or it could be the third year when he's at Zarephath. Now, after this long time frame, God spoke again. And Elijah was listening. Have you ever noticed that when you're expecting something and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come, you kind of forget about it? Elijah was keen on hearing what God had to say next. He was listening for directions. He was ready to obey. We've seen that throughout the passage. We, we, I mentioned verses 1 and 2. God said, show yourself to Ahab. Elijah said, I'm going to do that. In verse 8, as we look ahead, it says, go tell thy Lord, Ahab, he's talking to Obadiah, behold, Elijah is here. Uh, verse 11 Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. He says it again. Verse 14, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And in verse 15, he says, I will surely show myself unto him today. Um, he's telling Obadiah, just tell Ahab, I'm, I'm going to show up. Wouldn't it have been easier just to say, you know, Lord, I, I met Obadiah. He's just going to pass the word along to Ahab. 
And sometimes we, we play mental gymnastics to get around what God has told us to do, and we take the easier road. He's going to be completely obedient to the explicit commands of God. Show yourself to Ahab. I've got to be in his presence to do that. Are you listening for God's instructions? Are you in his word and praying to him so that he'll show you his will? And are you ready and are you willing to do it once it's shown to you? Jesus asked those who came out to hear him in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6.46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How can Christians today say, oh yes, well, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, but we're disobedient to him in the things that he reveals to us through his word? We need to be intent on doing exactly what God tells us to do. Don't expect God to reveal his will for you tomorrow if you're not actively involved in pursuing and doing his will in what he showed you to do today. We come now to a man named Obadiah, verses 3 through 6. Let's learn something about this man. There are 11 men in the Old Testament who are named Obadiah. It was a common name. It means servant of Jehovah. Remember Elijah's name means Jehovah is my God. This is not the same Obadiah who was the prophet who wrote the book of Obadiah. And while his name means servant of Jehovah, he's really showing, in this passage at least, that he's a servant of Ahab. Let's read verses 3 and 4. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Now, there are two different ways to look at Obadiah, and if you read the commentaries, you'll find proponents of both. Some think Obadiah stayed in the palace so Ahab, uh, of Ahab so that he could serve God effectively and make a difference in Samaria. It's not an ideal place, but I think this is where God put me, and I'm going I'm to make a difference. The text says, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So that's, that's the truth. Obadiah says about himself in verse 12 that he feared the Lord from his youth. It's also probably very true. It says also in the text, once by the, the writer, he protected a hundred of uh, God's prophets from Jezebel by hiding them in a cave in two groups of 50 each. And as they were hiding, he was protecting them. He was also providing for them something to eat, keeping them alive. So some think that Obadiah, although not in the ideal place, uh, he's at least serving the Lord. But others point out that Obadiah was a man who compromised his convictions in order to work for Ahab. F.B. Meyer is one of those. He writes, Obadiah was a good man but weak. He did his best to shield the prophets and keep, them tr uh, keep the true light from becoming extinguished. But court favor had corrupted him. He stood before Ahab while Elijah stood before God. Our Lord said that soft raiment and the king's court go together. And in the invenerating atmosphere of a palace, it is granted to very few to retain the spirit and power of Elijah or of the Baptist, speaking of John the Baptist. Who would not rather be Elijah than Obadiah? Elijah dared confront Ahab as the troubler of Israel, while Obadiah daily feared for his own life. Elijah rooted up idolatry, while Obadiah endeavored only to check its excess. 
Obadiah sought grass for the royal steeds, but Elijah's prayer brought the rain. And then he writes, let us dare to stand for God, though we stand alone. He says later, there's evidently a great lack of moral strength, the backbone of vigorous life in this character. Otherwise, he could never have held his position as he did in the court of Ahab and Jezebel. Even though there are those who say it was okay for Obadiah to be in Ahab's employ, they realize that there's a huge difference between these two men, Obadiah and Elijah. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is one who is, is friendly toward Obadiah. He says, I suspect that Elijah did not think very much of Obadiah. He doesn't treat him with any great consideration, but addresses him more sharply than one would expect from a fellow believer. Elijah was a man of action, bold, always to the front, with nothing to conceal. Obadiah was a quiet believer, true and steadfast, but in a very different position, and therefore driven to perform his duty in a less open manner. His faith in the Lord swayed his life, but did not drive him out of the court. One last author, William Taylor, calls Obadiah a lily among thorns. He says he was timid. He writes, he had faith, but he had not added to it the highest degree of courage. He had some courage indeed, for without it, he would not have dared to shelter the prophets and feed them in a cave. But he had not such a kind of measure of courage as to stand openly out and avow himself the protector of his brethren and one of them in faith. Well, the very fact that Elijah is the central figure in this story tells me that God chose a man of conviction and strong character to confront the apostasy that was going on in Israel led by King Ahab. This has great significance today when you look at these two characters and say, who am I going to follow? Can you work in a business that opposes and undermines the work of God? Is it okay to be in the camp of the wicked so that you can try to influence them for good? Do you stay in a bad church so that you can make a difference somehow? God is looking for men and women today who will have the courage of Elijah. Ahab called Obadiah to go and search for water, and they were going throughout the land. They were going to look for, actually, the, the results of that water, if there was any green pastures so they could feed the cattle. And they split up to look for those sources, verses 5 and 6. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all the fountains of water, and unto all brooks, peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, Obadiah's divided allegiance is noticeable. In verse 3, we, we agree with that. It says he feared the Lord greatly. But in verse 5, who's he, who's he obeying? Ahab said, go, and Obadiah, verse 6, went. Elijah alludes to that divided loyalty when they meet. He meets Obadiah in verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, Obadiah asks, Art thou that, my Lord Elijah? The word Lord there, Adonai, Master. Are you my Master, Elijah? And he says, I am. 
He's, he's saying, yes, it's me. You could tell by probably what he was wearing. Elijah was a little bit different in what he wore. I am, go, thy, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Elijah calls Ahab my, thy Lord when speaking to Obadiah in verse 11 and verse 14. So the real issue is, who is your master? Who are you taking orders from? Are you listening to what God says? Or are you listening to what Ahab has to say? And I think that is a question we all should ask ourselves. If we're not listening to God, we're not going to know how to confront the evil men and the philosophies of our day. We'll not be able to recognize sin and point out Christ. It's easy to become like Obadiah without ever realizing that a little compromise will gradually lead you to a place where you've lost your biblical convictions. Also notice Obadiah's wasted energies. He and Ahab were trying to find green grass so they could spare the horses and mules, animals that would have been important in, in the kingdom for military strength, the kingdom of Samaria. The drought was intended to bring repentance, but instead of searching for God, here are Obadiah and Ahab searching for grass. They were more interested in the welfare of the animals than in the wicked condition of the nation. I wonder sometimes if there's a drought in our own lives. And we're looking in the wrong places for the answers. We should go right to God. Elijah and Obadiah finally meet in verses 7 through 16. It's a lengthy section, but let me read that. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he, that is Obadiah, knew him, he recognized him, and fell on his face and said, Art thou that, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. It shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come to tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But, and he goes into his own, you know, what I've done. I, thy servant of the Lord, from my, from, I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. Second time he says that, he's going to slay me. Verse 15, and Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Obadiah had a misplaced fear. He was more afraid of Ahab than he was of God. He said that he feared God from his youth, but clearly he's, he's thinking about his own safety in this context. When Obadiah knew that he had to tell Ahab that he met Elijah, he said in verse 9, Have I sinned? What have I done wrong that this should happen to me? He says it again in verse 12. If I tell Ahab you're here, you'll disappear, and he's going to slay me. Even if he feared both God and Ahab, 
He responded in a way that he showed, it shows that he feared Ahab more. If someone were to look at your life and ask you, what are you afraid of? Or, by the way that you live, draw their own conclusions about what you fear. Would they question your faith? Do you live like you fear God more than you fear men? More than you fear catastrophic events? More than you fear the political situation? More than you fear poor health? To fear God has often been called, fear, the fear of the Lord has often been translated as reverential trust. And if you fear God, you will trust him. To trust him is to know that he's in sovereign control over every detail of your life. It removes all other fears. Obadiah had misplaced fear. Obadiah also lived in his, on his past accomplishments. The author of 1 Kings tells us in that parenthetical statement in verses 3 and 4 how Obadiah hid those prophets, how he fed them. And then Obadiah asked, uh, asked Joshua, or Elijah, haven't you, haven't you hear, heard what I did for those in verse 13? It's interesting to see that these activities of protecting and providing are, are really, who would, who would argue that that's not a bad thing to do? That's not a good thing to do. He's, he's doing things that are humanitarian in nature. Meyer writes, peradventure goodness like this serves a very useful purpose. It rears homes and refuges and bulwarks of defense behind which persecuted and threatened lives may thrive. But the world needs something more. There is an urgent need for men like Elijah and John the Baptist who dare oppose the perpetrators of those who are servants of God. It is not enough to shelter the prophets. We must go and show ourselves to Ahab. May God send to his church a handful of lion-like men like Elijah, of whom this is the majestic record. Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab to confront the royal culprit, to arrest the king. Obadiah didn't have the courage to separate himself from Ahab. He tried to reform from the inside. Elijah was a separatist. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You think about different people who who, like Obadiah, were in the wrong place thinking they could do a good work. I think of Lot. He didn't influence Sodom for good, did he? Meyer says there's not a single hero or saint who moved the people of his time from within. All, without exception, have raised the cry, let us go forth without the camp. That's a phrase that reminds us of the Old Testament sacrifice that was taken outside the camp. It also was fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13, 13, Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Last point in verses 17 through 19, Elijah finally confronts Ahab. Notice Ahab's accusation in verse 17. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? The issue is not troubling Israel. The issue is who is the true God. 
And that's why Elijah makes the challenge that he made to prove that Jehovah is God. Elijah answered in verse 18, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. He says, you and your father's house are to blame. He spells out their twofold sin. Number one, he used the word ye, which in the old King James is a plural. You and your father's house have forsaken the Lord's commandments. It's been a generational thing. You've forgotten what God said in his word. You've forsaken those commandments. And then he goes to the singular, thou. This is what you as an individual, Ahab, this is what you have done. You have followed Balaam. Notice the I am ending there. Baal is the, in the plural. It means either that you have worshipped Baal in a multitude of different ways or you have worshipped all the Baals that there are. Barnes writes, this boldness, this high tone, this absence of the slightest indication of alarm seems to have completely discomfited Ahab, who ventured on no reply, made no attempt to arrest the prophet, did not even press him to remove his curse and bring the drought to an end, but simply consented to do his bidding. There's no passage of scripture that exhibits more forcibly the ascendancy that a prophet of the Lord, armed with his spiritual powers, could, if he were firm and brave, exercise even over the most powerful and most unscrupulous of monarchs. May God give us those kind of people today. Elijah's challenge is in verse 19. Now therefore send, and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. And so here's Elijah's challenge. Ahab's standing there dumbfounded. He's forgotten about the drought. He's forgotten about the rain. Elijah is taking the conversation as a bull by the horns, and he says, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and Ahab agrees. All Israel's invited. The place was specified, Mount Carmel. It'll be a very obvious place. All Israel's going to be there. They're going to see who's God. 850 false prophets were invited. How bold is your faith? <laughs> Are you ready to stand up against the, the false prophets of our day? Again, may God give us this kind of boldness and equip us with the faith that God can do great things. Will you, like Elijah, determine to obey God's word immediately? Don't rest on the things that you've done in the past, as good as they may have been. Ask God to give you courage. Stand with the character and conviction for Christ Jesus. Fear and serve the living God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, as we come to the conclusion of this service, Certainly, we don't want the, the scripture to conclude what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts and in our lives. We've been convicted about not standing for you. We've been challenged to know you better through your word and through prayer, to know your will, to be obedient to that. And I pray that now you will help us to recommit our lives wholeheartedly to stand for Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's one here that is 
is not certain of their salvation. They don't know if they die today, if they'd go to heaven. I pray that you'll give them the courage to come forward and let someone take the Bible and show them how they can be saved today. We'll give you all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.